0: To this is Hardcore podcast. You just heard Sinister Feeling, straight out of Baltimore. This is going to come out on Rebirth Records. That first track was pulled down, followed by Sinister Feeling. Pretty short stuff, intense, aggressive, pure fucking hardcore. Bob Wilson, who already has his handful with FYA and Rebirth Records, is his new project, pushing some tapes out. Um, you can go to the Rebirth Record store. I'll have a link for it in the podcast notes so you can buy the tape. Incredible. to see bands like this getting the opportunity to come back around. Seems like that was a sound that I remember seeing a lot at different stages in the last couple decades, but that's intense, man. And uh, if you want to check Sinister Feeling out, the best thing to do is... January, uh, June 13th, rather, Monday, uh, they're going to be playing with Gag, Chemical Fix, and Jive Bomb at the Yuki Club. Yuki Club's been doing a lot of shows. Bob's got that one, and for those who've never been, it, we used to play soccer in the yard there. It was a UK, Ukrainian club, and um, they've had a venue for quite some time, on and off different uh, periods, um, but it's not that far off from in between Spring Garden and Girard Avenue in Philadelphia. And uh, my hat's off to them. I really like when you have this cacophonous, discordant fucking sound and the fucking, the little samples and just the aggression is felt. And I I love this shit. So I'm glad to see Bob putting this shit kind of back on the map. Check out Sinister Feeling. So it's obvious that I didn't do a podcast last week. And which violates what I was hoping for, which was to stay consistent. But... It's impossible for me to come up with an excuse aside from I didn't have the opportunity nor the motivation in the last week or so to put something together with the stuff going on with This Is Hardcore and with the preparation for all the shows we've just had. So in thinking about a podcast that could come out, it'd be fun to listen to. Something that I could do quickly, I have the thought that I go over what we just went through for the last week or so. And um, for those of you who don't know that we had a crazy run of shows and we're still not over it. But Philadelphia has been blessed, I mean, from a lot of perspectives. But from last Thursday to this week, we've had six shows in seven days. And hot off the announcement on sale of This Is Hardcore – The timing structure to get somebody who can jump on a a three or four hour um, audio call through these different apps that I use to record this just wasn't possible. And I was only through the luck of Zach Nelson from 185 miles south and Richie really spearheading the whole thing that we were even able to pull off our end of the triple cast which celebrated the terror release of their new record Pain into Power which was our last released episode. And the hope was that I would pull something out of my ass or I could get somebody on a on a shorter call and we could pop something out, but I don't know if it was a combination of not feeling it or not being able to link up and getting distracted into other things that pulled me away from being able to release an episode and I was bummed out because so far this year I've always been able to even with the fucking stupid glitches of this dumb laptop. I've still been able to put out an uh, episode So my apologies for that And in fact, I'm a week behind So right now you're going to hear another track
1: Don't you fucking look away You've seen it all and now you're disgusting it every second you breathe I'll bleed it out with a soul that's rusted wound, Filled You And all you have trusted Eat Fuck Kill It's all we want For those half off A politician A Nothing left for-
0: Downfall, that track is Primitive Reality, coming off their debut LP, Behind the Curtain. The record comes out on July 1st. They're taking pre-orders now at June 10th on Days and Triple B Records. Downfall's been around for a little bit. And um, finally, at the LP stage, production sounds solid as fuck. Some heavy riffs. Our boy Lumpy and Days Records has always provided some cool tracks and um, without having an episode last week, I got backed up. I didn't want to put the track out there. And knowing that I want to make some of these younger bands, or not even younger bands, but bands with releases and stuff popping, I want to make sure that you who are checking out the podcast are getting you know, some ears on this shit. And um, I've never been af- af- afraid of different variety. And I'm not like looking for particular sound. Um, just if it's new or it's cool, or you're active, or you're trying to make something work, send your shit in. We'll put it on the podcast. Um, Downfall, check them out, and, uh, the Triple B Days, uh, collabs continue. In fact, I could do a whole podcast just really on all the different record labels that are going on. But I'm not going to today, so... You guys locked out because that could fucking take a dark turn at times. But what I will say is that Philadelphia is blessed. And that's where the point I was getting at. Through all the different stages in Philadelphia hardcore, it was never in my time one person, it was everybody. You know, the late Brian Dilworth was responsible for the stuff that was happening at the Kyber Pass. And to some degree, I imagine I don't. I I actually can't, won't talk out my ass and say I know. I know Tim had did some shows at the Vampire Club, and then later at the Revival, and um, eventually they would even do shows upstairs from Nick's Roast Beef on Second Street in Old City back when Old City wasn't fancy as fuck when it was a little bit more chaotic. And I don't know who who was a re- responsible for like the Integrity Show and all. But, I mean, there was people from all over doing stuff, whether it was at the TLA and just different, smaller, real venues, even like the JC Dobbs stuff. But it wasn't one person, you know. Um, I've had a bunch of people in the last couple of weeks ask about some history about the First Unitarian Church, and it made me think more about stuff that we have going on in Philly and... um so for those listening, the Cabbage Collective was out there from the late eighties into the early nineties, and um, they were doing shows in West Philadelphia at like Forty Eighth and Baltimore at the Calvary Church. They are the first ones who connected with the people who lived in the space of the kill time. But you know there were shows, but they weren't like Judge and the big hardcore shows. Those shows were happening at Camden, or not Camden, rather they were happening in. Um, Club Ass and later City Gardens and Units down in the early 90s so although there was shows they weren't really intrinsically tied into like the bigger hardcore scene but when R5 Productions Robbie Cheeks, and different people did shows at the First Unitarian Church in the mid 90s it really started to shape a different time period where you would have shows at random churches in the city. you know. And I've always said, you know, we're from Philadelphia, but the landscape for those who's listening is, is like the downtown area is completely different than the south, uh, every sectionally designated area. You know, we were from north, northeast, you know, everything from what is now, you know, the most gentrified white people from who've never lived in Philadelphia area, Fishtown. Uh, which is at the Gerard L Station all the way through to Bridge and Pratt, which is now called the Frankfurt Transportation Center. It was just called Bridge and Pratt, the two, the two streets where the end of the line was. And we even had homies from the other side of the line out on 69th Street. And amongst our own friends, amongst all these different people in the city, different shows were happening. And there was cool squats, third and Hancock, which is now super gentrified. So weird to be downtown. So weird to see the the way that the city's changed. To see the um uh, hookers and strip joints and dirty places get away from the area, which is now the convention center near Chinatown and just see the city shaped to bring in people that didn't live here to attract them to come here and shop and to attract them to buy houses and if you would have told me then that people would be buying row homes in Philadelphia for anywhere between one quarter to three quarters of a million of dollars, I would have laughed at you. Because when I was 20 years old, you could buy a house for $50,000 and it wasn't in a bad neighborhood. And it's just completely changed. And the city has changed in so many ways, but some things stay the same. And so there are shows at the church that are run by R5 Productions When um, Sean Agnew Started the company Sean Agnew R5 The infamous suburban line That takes you out to the main line And um I don't really like putting Everyone's personal business out But Sean Agnew Who I've talked about a ton of times on the show Had a tragic loss of his mother The week before Mother's Day I doubt he listens But if he does I love him I told him this and it's heart-wrenching to think about someone losing their mother, especially when you have a good mom like Sean had in a week of Mother's Day. But Sean and the mainline guys were a big part of the insurgence of what would be the foundation that I would build a lot of stuff off of. Our, um, Robbie Cheeks would do some shows at the church. The church was different then. You can just hit up somebody and rent the room. So like Fury of Five played there in June of 96. And uh, it was like, 45 or 50 people paid, that's it, it wasn't a big show, and um, there was the shows all over, everybody got to do them, but in, in, the, in the current time, people said, oh yeah, there's shows, is this yours, not, not every show that, that happens at the church is ours, Andy and R5, and Jesse and R5 do their shows, and Andrew, not, I just forget his last name, um, Will McAndrew, Jim Shomo, they do a plenty of shows. And they've even expanded into our neighborhood, these fucking gentrifying motherfuckers, fucking transplants. And they moved on to do shows at the photo club, which is in the heart of the neighborhood junction between the Amber Playground people like Joe McHenry and Beanhead and the Giulietta folks and the Bridesburg people, the Kenzos and the Frankfurt dudes. It's weird to see the idea of a club that was basically a shitty Coke bar That probably people got killed and who the fuck knows what else in that fucking dirty place. Now some hipsters buy it and they're going to try to do hardcore shows there. It's very bizarre to think about a functioning club now being run by a bunch of people who aren't from the city. And are now entertaining the idea of hardcore shows. And Sometimes when I think about this shit I realize again again and again and again and again and again. The hardcore show is the lowest common denominator in the e- not not so much the easiest thing to do because it's not easy to do these things, but it's the easiest access. You know, production at the lowest quality. You get something that you can plug amps into, a flat surface to have the drums on, some form of ability to project the voice, and you got a show out of a U-Haul in a parking lot out on the river somewhere hidden behind a Walmart, you could have a hardcore show. And uh, it's what the beautiful art and chaos of the whole thing comes together. But sinisterly, it's a way a lot of people came into the quote-unquote music industry, which even that term, I abhor it's use and I don't want to be attached to an industry. I'm a hardcore kid and a hardcore promoter and what I put on my back is the thought that every show that I do, I take away things that I could have did better. And every show that's done, there's 10 more on the way. And I fucking love this shit and I get frustrated when there are people who walk in whether it's through college uh, internships or connections or who are just savvy enough entrepreneurially to just say, you know what, I'm going to make my way. I'm going to buy some talent. I'm going to put these shows on. I'm going to build my resume up because I want to get to the fucking big leagues. To me, there's no bigger league than just putting on a fantastic show Seeing a young kid stage dive for the first time. Or a kid who's been coming around and getting pushed around in that pit. Finally starting to push a little back. Or maybe the kid who has been quiet and walks in. Doesn't say much. Gives his hand stamp. And then little by little the smile comes on his face. Maybe a little joke exchange and they start feeling more confident. And I think about the real thing that I'm interested in isn't a... In the industry, job and you know, uh, fucking show hardcore at some dot com, like just do Gmail. But my job is to continue to believe that hardcore is the coolest thing that has ever come into my life, and has been the wellspring that so much greatness has been birthed into my life from. You know, everything all comes from there, and so I'm not so concerned with the the metal stuff and the the stuff that I don't get from the punk world. I'm not trying to build a fucking career here. My old head, Mike Mike went would often ask about an old friend of his who is a foreman at another company, and I'd say, "Oh, you still over?" He said, like, "What's he building a fucking career there?" cuz not a lot of cement masons. Stay at the same job for 20 years, but I don't want a career. I've already worked in this fest show hardcore promotion capacity long enough to probably get ready to fucking retire. But I still love this like it's my fucking first five years. And so I get a little frustrated thinking about people using hardcore punk shows as stepping stones. I get a little frustrated thinking about bands who look at the hardcore scene as a fertile ground to stage the beginning of a music career. And it's happened. And sometimes it's organic. A lot of times it's it's the easiest bar. You know, the requirements to play a hardcore show, argumentably, pretty much is really low, you know? There's almost some funny gatekeeping that used to happen more so when bands would try to play metal shows. Like they used to open for DSI in the early 90s, and some guy would come up, Hey, man, playing for DSI I'm, I'm trying to sell tickets for my band. And you'd be like, I'm at fucking, oh, fucking all the money right now. Oh, yeah, we should sure. call me. I'll meet up with you outside of Bridging and You buy a ticket, uh, you know, because the only way a band. In the metal world, when I first went to metal shows, was they would the promoters would give the bands X amount of tickets, and that band had to sell them tickets, or they had to give the difference. So, I'm just going to use an arbitrary number. Let's say the band had to sell 40 tickets at $10. That band had to come up with 400 bucks if they didn't sell a ticket. But the parkour shows, it's always different. Like so yeah, you can come up and play, and it's sometimes. Sometimes I I get a little frustrated thinking about the simplicity of a stage where people can just get up and do their thing. And their real intention isn't to do their thing in the name of God and love and hardcore but in the name of well three years from now once we build up a big enough name in the underground we're going to be able to go here and we're going to have an established name within a, you know, a true you know, underground scene and we'll be able to level up I'm tired of the being the first rung on a ladder to some and I still see it happening in hardcore I don't like it it's a waste of time sometimes yeah some of these bands are cool some of these people are cool people. But, you know, there has always been a weird relationship, even at the outset of our forebears in punk rock who were in love with the idea. Maybe they got it from Stooges. Maybe they got it from the Ramones. Maybe they got the Theatrics from Kiss and from Alice Cooper you know maybe they got hip to some of this you know proto punk stuff and they just wanted to take it a little step further and create or antagonize or maybe they just were the weird motherfucker who was tired of listening to the bullshit 70s rock and just wanted to burn the shit down or maybe they were hip And they already understood some of the shit coming out of England and, you know, maybe they got that first wave of the California stuff coming out from the fucking VK world. Whatever that origin is, you know, a lot of this organic stuff took off early because it was new and it was raw and it was exciting. And, you know, make no mistake, it was easier to do things back then. You know, records were simple to press. Uh, on a segue and a side note, one of the greatest regrets I have not starting the podcast sooner is not being able to have a conversation with Jack Flanagan, who was in the band Heart Attack, who would later be in the band Mob, who would go on. I've mentioned him on the show before if you listened a bunch of times. He's gone on to uh, manage Clutch, manage Guar, and he's responsible through his father showing him the way. Of like what to do to press records, and that's how the mob records came out with Urban Waste and the Mob first record. And, you know, um, he was the one who taught the Roger about putting the record out. And Roger, will like, well, you show me how to put the record out? So you know, an unsung New York hardcore hero like Jack Flanagan is responsible for a lot, and I think that there's an industry in that. In itself. Of kind of like. We got to do it ourselves, And the reason why. I bring that up. Is like. Yeah it was easy. Because there was like. 20 bands in the country. That people were talking about. This is a new thing. So there was a little bit of. An easier success. In blowing up. And there wasn't. Think of like. A stepping stone. And um. I just listened to. An audio book. Which I kind of go against. The usual terms of. Operations for me. When it comes to. Researching punk rock stuff. And books. I tend to like have a physical copy in my hand. Like right now, in in my uh, queue real quick, I have set up a book by Ian Glasper, awesome uh, journalist, but he was a major force in the United Kingdom hardcore scene. He was in a band called Stampin' Ground that kind of never really fully took off in America. Um... But this last book is that I got and i it's got my friend Pierre from Knuckle Dust on the cover. I've never finished it yet. It's called How UK Punk Survived the 90s. And she um, did uh, a bunch of books about the 80s and they're pretty fucking sick. That, um, this is the kind of stuff I really I choose to buy and I keep and I put it in a collection when it's done being Red. Sometimes I pull it back out um and it's interesting to have um another book that I'm like 25% in from Dan Ozzy is called Sellout. The major label feeding frenzy that swept punk, emo and hardcore from 1994 to 2007. And the fucked up thing is is that for me this is what I'm talking about but in a different way. So the story is about 11 bands and their label debuts. Green Dag Dookie, Jawbreaker Dear You, Jimmy Eat World, Static Prevails, Blink 182, to Do Ranch at the Drive In Relationship Command, The Donnas Spend the Night, Thursday War of the, All the Time, The Distiller's Coral Fang, My Chemical Romance, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, Rise Against the Siren Song of Counterculture, and Against Me and New Wave. And he, he does an interesting way of going through these records and stuff and how the labels swept up and took up the, the best of the underground and, and kind of capitalized in that way that these commie motherfuckers like that, Sonny Singh, hate the capitalization. But it goes deeper. And Ozzy obviously swung for the big records, which is a bigger, bigger market. But I mean... What I, what I was getting to when I brought that up is I just listened instead of buying um, Corporate Rock Sucks, which to me is now a, a, is something that is going to be bought just to be on the shelf because of how much I enjoy listening to it. Uh, we have a lot to learn from Jim Rutland. Corporate Rock Sucks is about SST records. And for those who are young, I'm not going to dog you for this, but um, SST Records is the brainchild and vehicle for the world that would come under Black Flag. And if you really want to hear a cool story in, in, in a very singular set that kind of is a, was written by Jim Rutland before he went on to do this, it's called My Damage, the story of a punk rock survivor with Keith Morris, which is really cool. I have that on a hard copy book. I didn't. I did not actually listen to that. I, I actually read that. But when I got into corporate rock sucks, I was thinking about doing some more earlier, earlier time interviews. And I, I read some of these books and I write notes. And why this ties into the sellout book is that every time I read something, my my viewpoint on hardcore punk and its importance changes. And which grows and it becomes a bigger Founding point As a launching to Counterculture in the world Not just in America And I won't ruin it for you But if you're One of these younger cats and you're super About Soundgarden and Sonic Youth You gotta thank Black Flag And Greg Jinn and Chuck Dukowski And Raymond Pettibone And um, Henry Rollins And Kira And Everybody who was there at the founding point of SST. Um, Mugger, who was a roadie, infamous roadie of Black Flag, who would go on to be like a label manager. I mean, the the back of what would be the sounds of the 90s grunge turned into the alternative label that really fucking went up my ass as a kid when I would hear it. Um, the foundations in SST Records. Generally, there's a lot of stuff that was taken and put on majors because of it. But more singularly, there's this stuff that SST Records did to promote Black Flag and their acts, the Minute Men, the Meat Puppets, in this first couple years of this hardcore stuff that we all love that was eventually capitalized on, And it just adds to the layers of why I kind of get frustrated when somebody's like, oh, well, these guys are cool, and this it's like, yeah, they're cool, but they're here for a minute, and they're looking to go further. And not further, meaning, like, they're gonna take their band on, and we're gonna still see them. There's plenty of people who have moved on and look at, like, the times that they had to play the small, shitty house show and the small, shitty hall as, well, we're not gonna be doing this forever because we're gonna blow up. And I've just hated that ego. And I have friends who have been in bands at all different stages. And now for two and a half decades worth of friends who their bands can go from being really high up on the totem pole to all the way down to the bottom and forgotten to never noticed. And I've seen the whole spectrum. But I just, the older I get, the more I want to make sure that the time that I put into is increasing the out. Um, the outcoming support from the kids and building the next generations of bands through the kids that are coming to the shows now. And so we deal with some of these bands, but I see a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing. And I see a lot of people who specifically know that playing the hardcore shows now will eventually get them on the bigger tours later. So they'll do the thing and they'll kiss the ass and they'll say the right stuff. But it's all just online ball washing. And um, I'm not about that. You know, not about a bunch of shit, to be honest. And I think you guys who listen a long time know that, that I'm just not about that bullshit. Um, the words adjacent always cracked me up. You know, well, they're like hardcore adjacent. Well, I got another idea of what adjacent is. Now, I really want to say, with honesty, someone who's adjacent, or uses the term adjacent, most likely lived in a cul-de-sac. But when I think of adjacency, I think of the next-door neighbor that you've known for five years, that you don't even know the motherfucker's name. You might step outside, and you see him. You might say hi, but you don't want to. that's what adjacency is. So you come at me with this hardcore adjacency fucking bullshit. That's the motherfucking guy in a band who... They are not big enough to play in the bigger club with the barricade yet. So they play in the small club where their little friends still mosh around. So they get the moniker of like metalcore or whatever core suffix. But really they're trying to go all the way up to the top and be the next Bring Me the Horizon. And uh, that's what adjacency is. It's not cool. I don't fuck with it. I'll just say that. You know? And I, and I watch a lot of bands come up, and you know, interestingly enough, there's bands that the word adjacency is used for, and I have to go the other way, and I have to say, hey, you know like, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, DC, Richmond, um, these are established east coast hardcore centers for a lot of cool shit. Um, even New Jersey, and it's quasi, you know, who knows if it's the, the Jersey Asbury or is it Atlantic City, whatever. It's all tied in. But, you know, there's there's a, a standard of like what these kind of scenes would consider hardcore than the bands on the periphery where the word adjacent lurks. But a band like Kublai Khan, you know, they're out in Dallas area, out in the suburbs in that DFW, where shit's a little murky because they're not on the tour ride. You know, they're not definitely going to get every tour. So they're going to watch some metal stuff. They're going to get the hardcore stuff. Dallas had a crazy hardcore scene in the late 70s and early 80s coming up and pretty fucking wild, to be honest. But, you know, not every tour goes through there. So they're going to get what they get. So you get this amalgamation of what people call metalcore, other people just call hardcore in a band like KublaCon, which I can say now legally <laughs> that Kubicon is a special guest that this is hardcore. And it's because of the terror tour that we had to hold off promoting at Kubla-Kan is the band but that they are playing. And I'm really excited about them. They're a band that have played some smaller shows and they'll keep growing. But you know what? They tour with Magnitude and Terror. They just tour with Coyo and Knock Loose. And if you were there, we'll talk about it in a bit, but if you were there at this Terror Tour, if you're going to see this Terror Tour, you're, you, if you'd be foolish to stay on the outside during a set on that Terror Tour because there's something different going on there with these guys. But there are areas where... That heavier sound is supplemental to what a, what hardcore is in that area. So I wouldn't like the term adjacent. I really hate the discernation and separation in the term metalcore. I've seen a couple of things to, every week that people talk about metalcore this. And there's this weird pride in these goofball little internet people that never went to shows when these bands are playing and use this like modern day lens for shit that happened. And they try to apply modern ideal idealism to these bands, and um, being there and seeing this stuff, you know, I got a lot to do, so I don't have time to fight with little kids on Twitter. But too many times, I'm seeing some people try to talk from some informed position with no firsthand experience, and everything's from YouTube and reading on the internet, and just applying their short-lived experiences to make a general realization. And designation of what a band is. And I, I don't like that either. Well I should just call this. Episode 80 shit show don't like. But the truth is I love hardcore. Truth is. That. After 25 years of booking hardcore shows. And. After the shit that keeps getting written on the internet. And the constant. Arguments and stupidity. And. All the. Dramatic stuff that comes from people who don't support bands that we do and don't support fests that we do. It's enough to make people say, well, why are you bothering? But it's because I love this shit. And I love that Philadelphia is this fucking green zone where you can have an R5 Productions And you could have Bob Wilson doing the shows that he does. And you have the Joe doing the shows that Joe does. And the shows Alex does. And, you know, there's all these different people adding to what we have here. And the growth and the support that we have seen just in the last six days. Or six, seven shows. Six shows in seven days. Just shows that the empirical data states that Philadelphia has a banging fucking hardcore scene. And we managed to make shit happen. Because of the fact that this is a purely true underground state. And we're different than some of these places where it's a road stop with a barricade and dickhead bouncers. And I ever begrudge the kids. I feel so bad if someone's listening. If you're listening to this and you're thinking I'm shitting on your town because you don't have the Philly hardcore scene. Dude, I was touring this shit in 1999 and I did it up to 2007 in America. And I get that there's going to be variances. And I was there and I had to understand it firsthand. The towns that don't have the, the right shows, the town that don't have the rock, the, the DIY clubs. I mean, to some degree, we've had been lucky with the church and halls in my neighborhood in different places, and now with the Yuka Club back in an operation. But we've never had that chain reaction, which is like that locally owned, for all intents and purposes, awesome like venue that specifically does does hardcore. You know, the chain reaction and. My favorite place, which is the Showcase Theater in Corona. I fucking wish to God in a shopping center in in Northeast Philly. We could just have a venue like the fucking Showcase Theater. Joe Lejean was a fucking great dude. Always took care of the bands. The shows were fantastic. It's a cool stage to play on. When we're used to playing off stages that were built out of um, sheet wood. And also with like skids underneath, you know? And we've never had that, but we made it work. So I'm understanding the variances. But like what I'm getting at is there's a lot of people that have no problem playing the hardcore game and saying all the right things and tagging all the right people, making all the right moves, and then they turn around, and as soon as the record's going good, boop, gone. But they're not the only ones that did it. There's always been people doing it. And um, the more you read, the more you learn. And the more you learn, the more the scope of what you understand changes. And the more you're wrong. And I'm becoming more and more wrong about a lot of what hardcore came from. What hardcore was to some of the people who are forebearers and founding members. And if you apply that to other stuff, man, we could have a whole fucking completely separate podcast on that, but if you think the founding members of Hardcore are these completely altruistic-minded humans, then, yeah, you would believe that the founding fathers of this great country were also the most altruistic, good-natured humans, (laughs) you know? People have their own self-serving interests and artistic expressions, and we are the third or fourth physical generation of this stuff, you know? And we're lucky to still be here, and we're lucky that this culture is still not only growing, but somehow thriving right now post-pandemic. But yeah, you know, I, I I stress to say that my efforts I don't want to put towards the bands that are always looking up and out for something else that's better, that's cooler, that's more professional. And I don't begrudge them. And we're going to get into this now because it kind of is the big segue into the the kind of shows we've done in the last couple days and kind of an excuse to talk and just get back with my folks. I really... I don't ever know if people fucking really like this shit or if it's just a fucking nice thing to say to butter me up, but like... I've had some people come up in the last week and like, Joe, man, I really love your podcast from people that I never even thought would fucking listen to it. Um, big shout out to otastep.net. Uh, Quite a few people from them California Takeover shows talked about the podcast with me. It just fucked me up to know I have people that I respect and hardcore as friends who I've never realized even bothered listening to. So it definitely reminds me when I miss a week that I fucked up and I feel bad especially when I know people are listening and they like it because sometimes I would probably want to punch myself in the face if I'm 45 minutes into some dickhead like me talking so it is never set up I probably could set it up but it wouldn't be as organically interesting as what happened so Kevin Horn who works at Underground Arts and works at Franklin Music Hall and a variety of venues in the Philadelphia area had booked previously post pre-COVID Sick of it All, for, Crown of Thorns for Underground Arts and then the show was in limbo COVID and then eventually moved to the Brooklyn Bowl which is a part of a whole complex in the Fishtown area directly across the street from the Barbary Franklin um, not the Franklin Music Hall, the Fillmore is where, like, the Decibel rock concerts happen and uh, turnstiles playing there in a couple weeks and all this stuff. And it's a big, it's one of the big rooms in the Philadelphia area, corporate owned and big as fuck. But they built a whole complex. There's the Punchline Comedy Place, which we actually got to see Kevin Hart last minute. Bob had bought some tickets, it was really cool. Me and him got to see Kevin Hart last minute, pretty sick. Or a boy Adam Engel, but um. They also had the foundry, which is where, when the Madball Wisdom and Chains Leeway show was in danger of getting snowed out, we moved the show there. So, what do you do when a bowling alley doesn't make it through pandemic? Well, they bought it, put a stage in it that holds nine hundred persons. Um, an old school dude from the I Hate You, 1993 to 1998 hardcore scene, Upper Derby regular is the production manager which is cool as fuck to think that a guy from back in the church show days is a production manager at this fucking big venue but I got to meet up with him and do a walk around for this venue before it and he was like yeah you guys can bowl they'll bring you guys food and I'm thinking like how cool would it be if while doing Crown of Thorns and AF we were bowling and so the show was I've not sure front sick of it all and Crown of Thorns, and so we ended up, me, Mike, Bob, Alex saw, AXBX, we all ended up just hanging out, kind of like some VIP area, Corson, McHenry, Zach, and the boys, you know, literally eating food and bowling, and behind us is Crown of Thorns, agnostic front, and sick of it all going on, and, uh, Definitely a unique experience. And that was Thursday, last week, the 12th. And um, uh, sometimes when a corporate or a bigger venue buys a show, they'll hit us up and say, hey, how about if we just go ahead and we pay you and you can help promote the show? And that was our capacity. We didn't have to run the show. We really only just helped promote it. And we got to bowl, eat some food, hang out with our friends because of it. And it was a good time. Um Crown of Thorns is always going to be good. Mike Dijon. Mike Deamey. One of the most unsung dudes in New York hardcore is Mike Demi on drums and Crown of Thorns. Dude's been in a ton of bands. Absolutely fantastic player. Um, Very great disposition and just fucking fantastic dude. And, you know, it makes, makes the backbone of Crown of Thorns work, especially with him being a Queens guy and Dijon being a Queens guy. Just fucking, they sounded fucking even better than they played the church. So, uh, it's no secret that I love Agnostic Front, and um, probably the surprise of that set may have been that they let Vinny Stigma sing "Power," which is obviously one of my favorite fucking hardcore songs in general. Um, but yeah, and um, you have to you have to just give your hats off, and this is where the conversation also goes into the thing about what I said was, yeah, there's bands that look up and out. And this isn't an uh, an accusatory or, like, condemnation of the sick of it alls or the mad balls or the agnostic fronts because these are substantially culturally important bands that through the years of touring and just being a hardcore, you know, like, the mainstay of hardcore stuff, They've grown to the point where they've built themselves into a, a bands that are world, like literally on the globe, known, you know, they can go anywhere. They're loved and known, loved and known, loved and known. And really, that's what you want. You want the finest and you want the best, and you want the bands who represent the culture being able to exist longer, and continue to influence, so when I talk about some of this stuff, it comes with the understanding that it's never going to be a pushback, so to speak, on these bands that built themselves up, this is about bands that have a predetermined destiny to not be a part of this at all, but it's the easiest way to show up and get on stage, so... I should have. I was waiting for this to explain it to you because there's definitely bands that just organically eventually get to the point where they're on the top of their game and they are representative of an entire culture. Those are fantastic, amazing people who deserve to continue on and and be the the standard bearers, not just the standard of hardcore, but like in the Roman legions. The, the, the finest, bravest soldiers would be the bearing the standard of that particular legion. And A.F. and Sick of It All, and even hate Breed and Terror, these are standard bearers for hardcore. So these bands, I don't look at as the ones who stepped out and never cared. No, they're they're the standard bearers for what hardcore is across this world. And they they fly the flags and they they have they honor us by doing so and we honor them by supporting them when they come through. Fun show. The Venue was way too big for the show. Um, hopefully we can get some stuff together that might be fun or at least just go there eat the fucking. This, they had this thing called a chicken tot, which is like breaded like a tater tot but a chicken bite, and it was fucking bomb. Actually, the fucking all the food was bomb there. It's fucking really standout shit. So, we move on. Um, as you know, we've talked about this little brat, my love, Alex Bradley. Um, Alex Bradley is a person who kind of came through doing many, um, many, many times of seeing her at shows when she was younger. Eventually got into a conversation about like what she would want to do, et cetera. And it turned into... Her expressing an interest in, in taking the shows she had did when she was doing them in New Jersey and doing more like Philly shows. And that's kind of what ended up happening. She kind of came under us. AXBX is what I always call her. And um, so she does this show. And I'm proud of her because she's also the apprentice piercer at Hard Time Tattoos, formerly Cadillac Deuce. Mike Barletti owns. And it was Friday thirteenth, so she's got to do some piercing. So, me and Bob and everybody hangs at the door. Mike brings pizza, and then when Alex is done working, Alex shows up and gets the rest of her show. And um, snub nose opened, ripped it. I love seeing new kids, new bands. Excited about hardcore. Um, War crimes is from the Hudson Valley. Some crossover with Age of Apocalypse members and cool to see them out and playing. Um, next was Not One Truth. Jersey Shore dudes. This is the best I've seen them was that Not One Truth set. Really cool. Um Death Metal Dante out there ripping it. I definitely think the more good shit's gonna happen for Not One Truth. Solid fucking set. Um Jab has come down. This is the first time I seen them. Uh Long Island. Heavy shit. And then Broken veil They're like the, the young band that popped up post the pandemic and are starting to be more active in the East Coast area. Check these bands out. So the Yard is in a Philadelphia suburb and it's a part of a complex of commercial buildings. And so what happens is you go in and it's a skate park. So... If you were like my size and 200 something pounds and six foot tall, unless you're Eric Walk, this is really to me like a spot for a lot of younger kids to get out there and mosh. And you see tons of people skating in between bands. You see a lot of young kids and a lot of good young bands coming up. And we're really lucky to have the yard and we like the place. And it was cool to have a show there. And then for a Friday the 13th, it was cool. It was a cool show. Alex did a good job. And then um, that was the second show in it. So then we get to this um California takeover stuff. Now there are people specifically who don't even know this, but in the nineties there was a live record recorded from Strife Earth Crisis and Snapcase in California, hence the California Takeover was a release. It's a snap chase and Earth Crisis shows with Strife. And then later on, there was talk of like another one. And pre-COVID, we were talking about it. Kind of got held up. And then, uh, I'll summarize this. I was driving. It was uh, the day before my birthday. Uh, Mike and I were driving up to say goodbye to a friend from Bain who passed away and drove all the way up to Boston the day the show went on sale. The first show sold out quick and then we had the other show on sale as the year of the knife record release, which is the first show back in Philadelphia July 3rd when that went on the show sold out quick. told that in July. I suppose that' supposed happened in October but there was some COVID stuff and the show moved from October to May so all of a sudden we have AF the 12th and then we have the California Takeover shows fourteen, fifteen, and then the Alex has a show May 13 and then we've got on the docket May 16 for Terror and May 18 for The Exploited and I was like holy shit this is gonna be a lot of fucking shows and um, the good thing about underground arts is that we do a lot of shows there, and they're the best production, mm-hmm. coolest big club that still feels small. Rich and Lindsay, Jackie, even Steve Sound Guy—I mean, they—they go—they bend backwards to make this happen. And through our friend Brian Dilworth, who's no longer with us, which I bring up often, we're able to have the club at a special rate and do all ages shows there, and. Consistently been some of the coolest shows In the last couple of years That we've done in Philadelphia Have been in Underground Arts And I was really excited for the shows uh, What we had happen though The wide Oberholster That little basser He got COVID So In The day before the show The Friday night I got told or The Friday morning Lennon set it up So off the tracks would open So off the tracks opened I love Bob Wilson for a million, million reasons. And hearing him on stage, fuck you, fuck this, fuck that, fuck this. I literally love. Could not care who he's motherfucking. I just love that. Anytime he's back to the old style. You know what I mean? Uh, to me, it's just the best. And so, all the tracks was Fantastic. Envision, man, they're gonna have a record. I, I want you guys to know this. You gotta check out Lennon's band Envision. We're gonna have a. I and then they're gonna have one of these. Like, holy shit, people gonna start talking more about them. They played second, and they were absolutely fantastic. So, because the show was Buffalo and then two Philly shows, the rule was Snapchase would headline the, the Friday night in Buffalo, and then each of the bands would headline another night. So every band headlined one night. So Strife gets up on stage. And they base, basically would play what I call like a fuck it set. Where they only play all killers, no fillers. I'm like fuck it, now you try to follow that. And the stripe set was fun, phenomenal. Fucking phenomenal. Um, All killers. Then that Earth Crisis gets on stage. And again, as soon as I get on stage I start dancing again and my whole fucking belt breaks, which is hilarious. But um, not the first time in the history of... 90s hardcore dudes' belts breaking for wearing big pants and having to pull the belt, uh, belts tight. Um They were fucking great, and they had played a lot of the highest end of the, the, the spectrum of songs, you know. They even came out with Slither. They slipped in Counter, which is the anthem from Path of Resistance, the Earth Crisis side project, and... It ended up with a lot of Philly hardcore dudes and my friend Matt Stedman from Syracuse on the mic. And it was a great way. And then it obviously went right into the Discipline intro, into the fucking Firestorm, which, Jesus Christ, that's a way to fucking end a set. It was literally like Gamora, Connor, boom, boom, boom. That was the end. Oh, you know what? I'm a to completely tell it's getting late. I'm recording this. In between strife and Snap, in between, or er, Stripe, uh, in between strife. Earth Crisis was Snapcase. And, um, you know, there was a time when Snapcase could play a hall anywhere from west, west of Philadelphia in the suburbs, halls, to northeast PA at, like, CC's or in Allentown and just have a fucking a set that no one could follow. And um, the minute they got on to the, the progression through unlearning, they played the Trocadero, and it was turmoil and refused on that tour of support. They just started shifting away from focusing and playing hardcore shows. And at that point, they kind of lost me. And I never was really big ups on anything after that. And the one player in the band is involved in race cars. So it was always hard because the season around This Is Hardcore fell in line with the race season. So we never really had the opportunity to have them until the... The Thursday, which actually was a Thursday, is obviously it's off season day, but and that's why that Fletcher Cox uh, football player was there because he's involved in the racing team financially and he's close with that guy from Snapcase, so that's why the the Eagles football player was there and everybody was taking pictures with him. But I was concerned at the this is hardcore set that they weren't going to do some stuff from Looking Glass, South, and Steps, and they did. They they played a fantastic set and people really psyched and. They, were, they did play more songs in Strife, but not as many as Earth Crisis, and people were bopping. And, you know, they're a tremendously popular band, but I think a lot of the stuff that they're most popular for isn't the records that I'm interested in. So they wane on me. But I actually don't care if they were to, like, only do that shit because that's where the mainstay of their fans are. But having seen them in the Steps and the Looking Glass Self era, those are the stuff that I'm, I'm most excited about when I want to see Snapcase play. And obviously, I already told you how Earthquakes was. So that was day one. We go into day two, and it's flipped up. Now we got Year of the Knife opening. We were supposed to have Buried Alive, but with Terror Tour happening, we couldn't make that work. And we knew back when we were going to get it back on, Terror, uh, Buried Alive wasn't available. So we get Night because they're back. They got a new singer, Eli, and it just dovetailed perfectly for them to be a part of the show. You're in the Knife plays first. They do well. A lot of people watch. Good way to start the sets off. And then Ignite plays. And this is the first time Eli, who's in Holy Grail as a bass player, is singing live in Philadelphia. They did a great job. And um, they played some old stuff. Played a lot of the newer stuff. And, you know, Ignite's Ignite, but I think that this... Is going to, you're going to see a lot more activity because though Zoli was a character and a funny person, at times he, I don't know if his own chaos in his own life held the band back from being like as professional and big as they could have been. So with Brett Rasmussen, who we had him on the podcast previously, with Brett having the ability to plan like two years straight out, you're going to see Ignite do some fantastic tours and. I wish them the best. Ignite's one of my favorite bands on the West Coast and in hardcore in general. And a a tidbit is that this is the first time ever that Ignite and Strife played the East Coast together. So that was cool as fuck. They have Ignite and Strife representing the West Coast on that night. So then, this is where it flips around. So then it goes Snapcase. And they're set. They add another Looking Glass Self song. And... They have their own guitar player wrote the song. Get up there, play. That was really cool. And then it's Earth Crisis, and Earth Crisis does something similar to their own set uh, from the the night before. Another fantastic set. And then to close it all out, Strife Headlines. They add a bunch more tracks. And I mean, this is what this is, man. Like this is like the end of a weekend. Uh, already we're at four shows, and it was late on Sunday, but. Strife, man. They're just built to have some of the best live reactions, and it was fucking fantastic. And um, kind of fucked my ankle up a little bit on the Sunday. On the Sunday, and I could feel it starting in my the back of my uh, muscle on my ankle. It was really fucking bothering me, so I I didn't participate in some mosh activities as much as I had the night before. So then we roll into the terror show. Now, the church shows are always a little different. Sometimes if the PA is still set up, we don't have to get there and set it up. And luckily, the the Lord was with us, and we could just kind of show up and get things ready. We didn't have to build the PA and all these things. So, terror. If you listened to the last episode, you know how I feel about the new record. And you know how I feel about terror in general. You know how I feel about church shows in general. Then you add the elements of... Kublakhan, who you now know how I feel, Sangusuga Bog—that's the right way to say the name. The pain of truth, and shackled on a Monday night. Maybe somewhere else, might not have been a great show, but in Philadelphia it was five hundred plus people, wild as fuck. A rainstorm that would have got Noah having to build a fucking boat, and a really, really fantastic evening. Probably one of the best terror sets in years. And a sign, a foreboding, so to speak, that shackled, pin of truth, Kublakon and terror are gonna have some wild fucking sets. At this is hardcore, and then um, yeah, just fantastic, fantastic energy, great kids, no dramas, just good times, great. It, just, all of it was great. Like everything that I love about hardcore shows, and ch- hardcore shows at the church was at the show. Great hangs, good food, all the people in the building, the stage dives, the return of Joe McHenry, who was always stage right, my right hand man, I was work stage left, he's stage right, it was fucking fantastic, and um, yeah, this is fucking literally, absolutely fucking fantastic, and I had off on Tuesday, I don't even remember what I did. Oh, I got tattooed by Mike after buying these really shitty boots and gave me a giant fucking huge hole in the back of my f- foot where my ankle hurts. Wah, such a pussy, right? So then we get into Wednesday. Now, because the PA was up, we got to keep it up. But it's the last show for a while at the church because it's getting hotter and people don't like to do shows when it gets too hot. So we had a, We knew going into the exploited show, we were going to have to go ahead and take the PA down. And I was like not looking forward to that. Now this show is a different kind of co-promotion show where a buyer from New York called Scenic Presents had bought a bunch of the shows they play on the East Coast and they were involved in partnership with us to run and do the business on the show for the Wednesday. Hardcore punk without the exploited is in a different boat altogether. Plain and simple. Waddy Buchanan is just as important to hardcore than a Keith Morris, more so, I think, than a Henry Rollins. And I think that because of English and because the deviations and the attraction to draw more towards a metallic sound later on that kind of got a lot of people to not understand that at hardcore and its origins, it's the big, snarly, nose-piercing, fucking giant mohawk motherfuckers that are part of our fucking forebears but man the fucking i love the exploited grew up on the exploited uh whether it's beat the bastards the massacre you know like it you know they're to me i don't even think that you're really a hardcore person if you can't you don't have to love it but if you've ever heard it or you're not you don't fuck with it or if you turn it on and you don't like it we're not even on the same page so I, I, I jumped through loops to do a, an exploited show, even on a Wednesday night. And this one was different because it had Harley doing Cro-Mags. For those who still can't figure it out, Harley was involved in Cro-Mags at its outset. If you listen to two episodes of Paris, who was on this podcast, episode 40, and I think later on like 50 or 51, something like that. Paris goes into depth and talks about it. There was a lengthy court battle for the legal right to the name. Harley ended up winning the name Cromags, which left John Josephs and Mackie having to differentiate themselves by calling it Chromex JM. And with John's other projects like Bloodclot, he has not put time into Chromax JM. Which also Craig Ahead, who is the bass player sick of it all, is active again. Mackie's active again. I don't know what AJ's up to, but it's hard to pull the cro JM off. So Harley got on the chromags to play with Exploited on this tour. Also, Total Chaos from California. And, you know, so we're talking no more more leather jackets, more stinky people, lots of studs, lots of face piercings, and a lot of beer thrown around. And I knew getting into it it was going to be wild. But this is what the fuck we do. This is what hardcore's about. You know, it's not all ninja kicks and fucking... Stage dives, high fives, it's fucking some asshole who's built like a Viking, smelling like a dead horse, running around with fucking shitty body odor, in a fucking floor covered in fucking beer and beer cans. That's what punk rock and hardcore is, too. And shame to the young ones who are not smart enough to just see it, to understand that this is a... Uh, harken back to an age-old time previous to the slick mosh stylings brought to us by the East Coast. And um, I'm lucky that the guys who I came up on, they're the Jamie Davises and, you know, the Bad Luck folks really instilled the importance of, like, being grounded and knowing these things. You know, like, the first thing I heard from uh, export It was the more metallic shit. Just because that was what the cassette that was at my local record store was. But I was hip to what they were way before I was even a hardcore kid. But, you know, it starts... It was just, like, way later for them. But at the time, 1990s, like, when I was really starting to uh, buy tapes and shit. So the first thing I really heard from them was the massacre. And it's kind of ironic because, like, that... Had I heard Dead Before Dishonor or something like that, I don't know if it would have seated as well for me at the time. But, you know, just turning over the the record and, and seeing um, like tracks like Boys in Blue and Fuck Religion, I'm like, all right, I'm all in. <laughs> you know, Fuck Religion, I'm all in. And then from there, you go back. You go back in the catalog. You know, you go back and you... You know what you are in for when you see Waddy Buchanan, giant punk rock mohawk, the whole nine yards. You know, like it—it it really is. They're a legacy band. You know, um, their record "Punk's Not Dead" really, really is something that fueled the fire for American hardcore. And when they were coming across without them, I don't know if some of these places. I mean, like they were like one of the biggest bands for some reasons, and so I'm always gonna give some credence to them. But to have them play at the First Unitarian Church, I can't speak on it because it's just hollow ground. And to me, it's fucking amazing that we had them, and so our friends Battalion Zoska, which. Pat, Von Society, one of the first punk rock bands that I would see all the time. As I was going from being a metal person to a hardcore person, all our friends in the neighborhood would go see them. Now he's in the band um, with Eric. Eric from Creep Records is a man. He Eric Victor um, has always been a supporter of Philadelphia punk and a, and a, and like you know another key figure. And he's in the band, and it's just fucking cool band, great sounds. And they opened. And then Total Chaos from Los Angeles. Picture Big Mohawk, Sweaty Kids, Circle Pits. Everything I think of beer being thrown around. And then Harley gets up with the G-Man and Dom. And Harley ends up playing a opening with um, We Gotta Know. But then plays a lot of newer material from the stuff that he wrote. And then later on goes back to Life of My Own. And he gets some kids from School of Rock that he saw on some video and says, these are the future, They're probably the future of something. But, I mean, Timmy from Punishment and Ethan, R.I.P. from Punishment, they went to School of Rock, but their parents had them in hardcore shows. Not a hard diss on these kids, but it's nice that they found... Chrome mags to cover and put on the internet but I've never seen them in hardcore shows so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna err on the side of I'm glad that these young kids are playing Chrome mags but until they start a band that is the Chrome mags or sounds like Chrome mags and they come to shows where other bands that sound like the Chrome mags are playing it's just one of these like viral gimmicks like the teacher that had all the kids singing minor threat so, <laughs> like, I'm not going to be a dickhead about it, but he's like, this is the future, and it's like, they're in the future playing music, but I've never seen him in hardcore shows before, so I'm not going to hold my breath for it. <laughs> Yo, a side note, because Harley was a guest on the Jocko podcast previously, I had um, not <laughs> thought about it <laughs> till the day of, um, but Harley's on stage... And I am videoing and sending it to Jocko via Instagram, and he didn't write back, but he at least saw the video, which is cracking me up. So I sent some fucking videos of Harley playing to Jocko because I know Jocko's is a big Harley fan and had him on the podcast. And then um, I got to see I got to see Harley play Down But Not Out, and Bob Wilson was wrecking people, spitting on people, it was fucking fantastic. And then I get asked, "What's the last song they should close with?" And it's death camps, and he's like, "Fuck! I don't know all the, I don't remember the lyrics." I'm like, "You don't gotta worry about the lyrics, you know." So, um, for me, seeing the Harley mags is a completely different strata than the John Joseph's cro mags JM. But I was really fixated on watching Harley play, and he, as a drummer, as a like a you know pre fucking he was like 13 playing the drum you know drummer so like he almost plays that the strings like a percussion instrument and I was like fixated on just how he's like down picking with a thumb but then pulling up with his fingers uh, as a mediocre or very amateur bass player just the the closest I physically have ever stood watching him play it was very interesting to see his style and um, I guess they're going to be playing more shows he was talking about coming back through And um, I would have to go ahead and say that this is just a random, unique scenario that we have exploited and Harley, but to make the most out of it, it was about time, and um, a more punk rock crowd going off for the Cro-Mags was actually not something that I haven't seen because I used to go to a lot of big punk shows and you know, all these punks knew about Chrome mags and stuff, but, like, in the modern era, Chrome mags is ninja moshing and stage diving. So it was cool to see a, a kind of, like, a change back over to a little more, a push pit mosh style, which might bum out the young hardcore kids, but is kind of, like, how things work, really. You know, like, it wasn't all just fucking ninja kicks. And it was interesting to see. And probably the my biggest takeaway was just watching people not from the hardcore scene not being able to you know get their 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 flow going so to speak mosh wise if that's the only if that's if that makes any sense to you it was just interesting for me to see that and be like oh yeah these kids actually didn't grow up in these kind of pits (laughs) you know so and then what do you do what the fuck do you do? What the fuck do you do when you have a um exploited show and they're going on at nine forty five and they're planning to play literally forever. <laughs> they played I think they played like a an hour and ten minutes, which by our standards obviously is like, What the fuck? Who plays that long? But they did and I feel like we were I was involved in some punk rock swindle. Like we got to have Exploited Play Philadelphia at the First Unitarian Church. You know? Like, no matter how late I got in last night, no matter how tired I was at work today, no matter how much I soap I put on the floor to try to clean up the beer and all the beer cans and all the pain in the ass Punishers and all the beer cans outside, people that I grew up around, grew up with, or grew up under, were in there, and they loved it, and that's what I do this for, and that's what this whole thing's about, I wanted to kind of come full circle, so seven days ago, I got home, and my computer was fucked up, and I couldn't even do like a solo quick one, I was so fucking bummed out, and I was like, yo, I'm tired, I got work, and I worked every day but Sunday. And I ain't taking any day off. And we ain't, and we haven't, we've taken one day, we've taken now two days off from these shows just because of how it randomly is. But this week's been a lot. And it's taught me a lot of things. And the biggest takeaway is that hardcore in all its different representations is important. And it's equally important to our culture that the people that come to these shows understand to some small degree that they're involved in something that For as much as many people May talk about hardcore on the internet So many people in real life Don't understand that there's concerts (laughs) That's what the term They'll probably use Concerts Happen at these small levels And that they're driven by people Who just want to see The culture continue And that it's through Standing with friends Who are 10 years older than me Or or remember when I was a long hair At 15 years old Going to some of my first hardcore shows In the city and the suburbs And all that You know, like, this is our entire Philadelphia hardcore scene. Like, the people I love and care for were all there. And everybody was smiling and just happy to be a part of something like seeing Exploited and the Cro-Mags Harley style at the church. And it brings it back, which is why, like, yeah, Exploited's one of the most popular punk hardcore bands of all time. Waddy Buchanan is an actual legacy legend. And... Yeah, I mean, obviously, I wish Waddy made more money so he didn't have to stress stuff, but he still does this shit. Some of the greatest people in hardcore, from Scott Vogel to Roger Murray and Vinny Stigma, Craig Ahead, you know, um, they just love this. And yeah, commercial success might have given them more comfort in life, but they're culturally super important and... I'm happy that in some way I'm able to facilitate exposing new people to this stuff and continuing to keep people who need this shit in their lives. I can't tell you how many old friends were like, this is the first show I've been at in since COVID. This is the first time I've been out. Oh my God, this is what I've needed. This is what I need. How many times I've been told that this is hardcore is what I need? This fucks me up, man. I wasn't ready to, to wasn't against taking stuff like that on, but it wasn't the plan. The plan was just to do shows and have fun. But this shit is healing. It's healing people. It's bringing the family. It's bringing the people of this culture back together. And it's why I can put blinders on and I can just block idiots on Instagram and Twitter if they're writing stupid shit to me. Because I have shows to put on and I have people that are in real life that I care about who share the same feelings about hardcore. As I do. And that's my focus. And that's why I said in the beginning of this diatribe. This is about people who give a fuck about our culture. And this is about supporting, preserving, promoting, and continuing our culture of hardcore punk. You know? And that's the focus. That's why I do this stuff. That's why it's way past my bedtime and I'm talking to a microphone. Because I owe the scene, <laughs> or the people listening at least, an episode. I feel like a jerk for not doing the last one. And I owe the bands that we said we would do opening episodes for the opportunity to do it. And I owe myself to, to honor these commitments because this shit matters to me. And I love meeting people and knowing from shaking their hand and the conversations that this shit matters to them as much as it matters to me. And if you're listening and this shit matters as much as it matters to me, then we're on the same page. Even if we never met before. We've never shook hands. That's the beauty of this thing. It's the fucking easiest common denominator. Oh, you fuck with exploit it? Cool. We're boys. It's on us. I am my man fuck you know, like it's easy. And I just don't I don't like thinking that we put time and effort and there's a band going ah, man, in another two years, we'll never have to play these kind of places. Because, yeah, there's nicer venues. That's why you have underground arts in bigger places. But the church, Yuki Club, even the Barbary back when we had at the church upstairs at Broad Street Ministry, um, even Unity Hall, the first shows we did at, anywhere that a hardcore show is being played and kids are going off and bands are having fun, like at the Yard, and the Philly Mocha in the modern time and these little halls that happen or that new place up in North Jersey, the Litter Box in Elizabeth. Wherever a hardcore band is playing and the crowd is going off and people are fucking happy, that's the best shit can be that day at that time. And I walk away always happy. Or if I'm frustrated, I write down the things that went wrong, but I'm happy overall that it happened. I'm just thankful for Hardcore. I love you guys. I hope that you're ready for a wild This Is Hardcore. Thank you for the support. I apologize for not having an episode last week. We're going to be recording Rule of 3 this week. Um, support all the podcasts. It's a great uh, outpouring of commentary regarding the Split podcast. 185 miles South Post-America podcast. It was fucking great to just talk to Richie and Zach together with Vogel. Um, a lot of cool new podcasts coming out from Hardcore Obviously I'm always going to cap for my boys Make sure you're listening to Broad Breakdown When that Vinny and them get together and do another one P&G, even Vinny, we're all, we're all together at the Chisel And then P&G were out hard The Terror Show and then the Exploited Show G and them getting out there Vinny's a little under the weather Busy so he didn't come out But um, support hardcore. Love this shit. If you're in a hardcore band, don't worry about what comes next. Do the things that you like to do. Do it well, and you'll be rewarded. But if your goal is to step out and be done with this, move on past this, just get the fuck out now. Leave this space for someone who wants to be here. You know? No one needs... The tired ass fake commentary of loving this scene and all it's done for us when you're really thinking about sitting backstage and playing on your phone for five hours before your band has to play. That's all I got for you. T I H C podcast.com. This is hardcorefest.com. We have two more shows tonight if you're listening on Friday. We have Struck Nerve, Marty, Mr. Glass, Williams. This motherfucker is fucking getting hurt all the time. We got struck nerve. We have Berthold City, Andrew Clyde, who also does War Records, future podcast guest, playing The Yard with his band, Berthold City, which we have played earlier. Dude, this is Strife and Internal Affairs and Allegiance. This is the, you know, the creme de la creme of West Coast, California shit. We've got change, yo, My man, Chris Williams, back in Philly. Can't wait to hang out with him. And reaching out. This is a second-generation hardcore band. Reaching out, they get on stage, they jump off the stage, they go off for all the bands. Finally glad to have them in the Philadelphia Hardcore Show capacity. Make sure that you're supporting this fucking band. These kids are great. And they are opening this hardcore on Saturday. That's the Friday night at the yard. And then Saturday, um, Alex... Turns tables around she's just about doing that that bullshit, you know there's more to it than just that she has some sonically different bands you might be in the sun title or all under heaven or leaving time the private mind or the insides which actually play with comeback kids some pop stuff some sonically heavy but melodic stuff this is also at the yard that's Saturday night at 7 p.m you can find all this stuff out by going to Philly HC shows on Instagram Twitter and phillyhcshows.com. Thank you, and we're going to keep these episodes rolling. Peace.